Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time to go inside the film room with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry and Scott Seidenberg breaking down college football from a different angle. It's the College Football Film Room Podcast. And welcome into the College Football Film Room. I'm Scott Seidenberg, joined as always by veteran scout, coach, and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. Chris is out in Indianapolis at the NFL Scouting Combine, and we are going to get into the Combine from a player's perspective here on the College Football Film Room. What can these kids who you watched in college last year uh, do in Indianapolis to help improve their draft stock and what exactly do some of the workouts and, and measurements? Uh, what does it all mean we'll break that down for you be sure to subscribe rate and review the college football film room wherever you get your podcasts from but before we get into the combine chris let's talk about some of the breaking news that went down uh since we last spoke and we have to start with the hiring for colorado uh after it looked like they were going to go in a bunch of different directions it's carl durrell who gets the job did this come out of where did this come from? Because it seemed to me like this name came out of nowhere. I was not expecting this hire from Colorado. Well, I was a little surprised, although when and we were charting it over at LandryFootball.com, they were obviously made a run at, at certain people that backed out. And we said Eric the enemy wasn't going to consider the job. We talked about that even last week. Um, Steve Sarkeesian was not interested they were interested in somebody that had right or wrong, that had PAC 12 experience that um, had coached in the PAC 12 recruited in that region. And you know what? That's why they went so hard after Steve Sarkeesian. He wasn't interested. And that's what they got in Calderell. Calderell played and co- was the head coach at UCLA, played at UCLA. He also was an assistant at Colorado, so he's familiar with the conference, familiar with the school, and recruited in that area. Um, listen, it's an unexpiring hire. He was with the Dolphins. He just was recently promoted to assistant head. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting seeing how well he does. I think it's a program that um, putting together a staff at this time, and, you know, he's excited about the, you know, the commitment that they're willing to make financially, but You know, here's the thing that's ironic. What a great opportunity for him. He and his wife just bought a home just like two miles from campus in Boulder. I mean, Hmm. literally, that's where their dream house is. And he was just going to finish up and, you know, um, coach with the Dolphins or wherever the NFL career would take them. And eventually, probably in another, you know, maybe six, eight years, retire. So he ends up getting a job that uh, that that's right near home. So he literally doesn't have to move. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's literally has the house. I mean, he's got a place in Miami and I don't know what he's going to do there, but um, so great for him. And I wish him well, I don't know how well it's going to go. I don't know how well he's going to be able to recruit. Yeah. Um, the resources are limited. It's a mid-level PAC 12 school, which kind of puts him pretty low in the totem pole. And, um, but I think they wanted somebody that might be willing to stay and I, I hate to say it, but I think that's what they got. I think they got someone that may be committed, but is he going to be good enough? And are they going to be committed to him is going to be the key. It's also, let's, let's call it for what it is. The expectation level's not that high at Colorado. 
They're not saying that this guy has to win the Pac-12 in his first three years, you know? Well, true, but, you know, on the other side, Mike McIntyre is the national coach of the year, and two years later, they struggle and they fired him, you know? So, um, you know, I think there's some expectations and maybe the expectation relative to what they – what they're willing to put in the program hasn't quite matched. So I, I worry about Colorado from a administrative standpoint and do they really understand what they are and the whole living into the Bill McCartney era there, there are a lot of things to sell there, but the money is not what it needs to be. And it, and it's not in quite frankly, most of the PAC 12 situation. So we'll see how that develops going forward, but that's going to be the key where anybody Carl or anybody else, will have success or not there. An interesting um, hire was made or coaching move, if you will. Uh, kind of a coup, if you want to call it that, where Kirby Smart gets Alabama's conditioning coach, strength and conditioning coach, Scott Corcoran, to come over and and become, what is he going to be, the uh, special teams coach at Georgia? But yeah. this is, uh, to me, this is a recruiting move and a big-time recruiting move. Where? How do you see this? Well, Scott Cochran has been with Nick Saban for every one of Nick Saban's national championships. He was the assistant strength coach at LSU when Nick won the national title in 2003. Hired him at Alabama. The thing about strength coaches is they're the ones that spend the most time with the players. That's where the players spend their entire conditioning program. So, like, right now, prior to spring practice, you know, once they get away, uh, you know, February, March, you know, they're spending the time with their strength coach every day. They go into spring practice. They're spending with their strength coach every day. Obviously, you know, in the time that they spend May, June, before the – all through the summer workouts, they're with their strength coach. So, the establishment of your program – your commitment to your identity, your effort, your team focus. It's the it is the the toughest motivational position because as a rule, players don't like to work out. You know, you're not gonna catch passes and do I mean you can do some of that stuff, but most of it is getting stronger, getting faster. Uh becoming a an elite team requires a commitment to do all the ugly stuff in the offseason. So that position is so important because you have such a just big impact. So he's been extremely important to Alabama's success. He has wanted to get into on the field coaching. He tried to get a job with Ole Miss in December uh-huh. at, with Lane Kiffin. That didn't quite work out. And he's good friends also with Kirby Smart. Well, obviously, Kirby was at Alabama, and they're hiring him as a special teams coach. So what does this really mean for Alabama? They're losing a guy that's been very instrumental in what they do and how they do it there, and that whole process, has been a, he's been a big part of it. Now, he's not going to do that at, at Georgia. He's going to be the strength coach. He's going to be the special teams coordinator. He has no background doing it, so there's really no way to evaluate him as to how good he'll do because he's never done it. Now, recruiting, he's done on-campus stuff. He hasn't been on the road. So a lot of this is projecting. But I'm telling you what this is all about. It's about Kirby Smart trying to weaken 
I know at Florida is their biggest rival in the East, but the, the biggest, you know, kid on the block, the bully mm-hmm. on the block mm-hmm. in the SEC is Alabama. And they're trying to weaken Alabama. And I think what they're trying to do is trying to build a culture. And they're hoping that through this direction that he can at least provide some culture that maybe he had at Alabama that they don't, they're lacking now at Georgia, albeit in a different position. Yeah, that's real interesting. And you said he was involved in on-campus recruiting. Uh, do you think he'll be more heavily involved in recruiting with Kirby Smart? Yes, because he's going to be one of the 10 on the field guys. So yeah. those are the only guys that can recruit off campus. So he's going to be one of those guys now that can go and recruit. Uh, assuming they go through with it, is this a true special teams coordinator? Here's the thing. They've got people that are going to work behind the scenes. He's, he's never really run special teams. So he's going to be doing something that he's new with. But the one thing about um, since we went to 10 assistant coaches, it used to be nine for years. More teams are anointing a special teams coordinator than before because you got an extra coach. And so he's going to be doing something and coordinating something that he hasn't done before. Now he certainly worked with Alabama special teams, but, but you know, as he, he certainly was not the guy doing it. And Nick Saban wasn't interested in having him in a role other than being a strength coach, which he's elite at doing, but so he wasn't really willing to, to give him what he wanted as an on the field role, because he didn't think quite frankly, that was the best for Alabama. For Georgia, I think that Kirby wanted him, and in order to get him, this is what he needed to do to get him. And so I'm very curious to see how this is going to play out and uh, how this is going to affect the overall tenor of the program. You know, for example, that whole fourth quarter, you know, built by Bama, all that stuff. Well, is he going to be able to do that and have that type of impact Mm. at Georgia from being a special teams coach? Again, let's remind folks, they didn't bring in special uh, strength and conditioning coach to become the strength and conditioning coach. He's now in a different role. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But I can tell you the relationship, which has certainly not been good between Kirby Smart and Nick Saban since he left for a lot of different reasons, which we won't rehash on tonight's show. But this just gotten a little bit more interesting. So <laughs> as this gets in, I mean, it has become like – you know, um, this has become really Hatfield and McCoy type yeah. feel to it in the Deep <laughs> South. It's really, of all the coaching changes, again, it's not just Scott Cochran leaving for a better job. Or, you know, or, or it's certainly a better for him because this is what he wants. But he's going to Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big, big thing that's obviously sticking in the crawl. And, um, you know, that's that's obviously Kirby and poaching this guy. This is something that is uh, obviously creating a lot of interest uh, in Alabama and Georgia. Uh, one of the coaching nugget, Ryan Day, gets a three-year contract extension. You know, obviously it's a little more, it's more money, it's more security. But when you look at Ryan Day and in, in his role at Ohio State, it's not like there's a bigger platform to go to in the country. He's competing for a national championship every single season. He's recruiting better than anybody else in that conference. So it's not like he's got big competition there, but perhaps the NFL could come a calling at some point because he's a relatively young guy when it comes to being a head coach. Right? So does giving him an extension and keeping him as happy and financially motivated as possible? Is that important for 
for Ohio State for the longevity aspect of it to say, we want to keep this guy as long as we can? Well, the big thing in college when they extend these guys, it's for recruiting purposes. So when they go out and recruit, you basically got a contract in any recruiting class that you're going into. Look, I've got a four-year deal. I'm going to be here the whole time or, you know, that whole thing. But yes. we all know that they can pick up and leave whenever. Mean, yeah, absolutely. So he can have one year left on the deal. He can have four years left on the deal. But if the NFL comes calling, he could leave. And if that's what he wants to do, whether, you know, regardless what his circumstances is at Ohio State, he'll stay. What I can say is every situation is different. We just had one with Mel Tucker leaving Colorado from Michigan State. We know that because you have a long-term deal at one place, you can sit there, look at recruiting the eye, and you could go somewhere else. And Mel Tucker did just that. Pretty much Ryan Day is not going to leave for another college job. There's really not a college job that's going to be a better fit for exactly. Ryan Day than Ohio State. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, but having security – like you said, keep him happy. But at least from a recruiting standpoint, no one can use it against you. Do you know he's only got a two-year deal there? You know, I don't know. I mean, what? why don't they have a – this is what people in the in the recruiting circles will do. Other coaches at yeah, other, other coaches will tell a kid, throw yeah. up. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, you're considering going to Ohio State? Well, listen, I don't yeah. know if Coach Day will be there. For, 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 yeah, you know. <laughs> and so now, now you still don't know, but if you got a contract yeah. – you know, you can do it. And look, it's it, why wouldn't you look at a guy like Ryan Day? I, I realize it's only one year, but what a fantastic year. And the recruiting has been phenomenal. So I think locking him up is certainly something that they want to do. Again, not that there's really many, if any, college programs that are better. And, and quite frankly, what if there is? I don't know the details of the buyout, uh -huh. but this certainly could potentially dissuade somebody. Let's just say, and I'm not saying that it, let's just say that somebody that USC wanted to come calling for. Or, or Florida. Into, or Texas. Well, Florida is set because Florida is, I mean, Dan Mullen's not going anywhere. Well, he's hypothetically a, he's speaking. You know, right, yeah. right. But, I mean, I'm talking about USC could have an opening. Uh -huh. In a year or two, Texas could, you know, say, man, we're willing to, hey, we'll go ahead and hire you. You know, well, I mean, you could see that. Uh, they still could do it. But if he's got a commitment of a longer-term deal with maybe a buyout, maybe he's more inclined to feel more loyal to Ohio State. But, those are some of the reasons, but mainly it comes down to recruiting and the, the optics on the recruiting trail. Let's get back into the combine, Chris, and talk about it from the, from the player's perspective. Uh, these kids are going to come in. It's, it's, you know, it almost feels like a cattle show, right? <laughs> right? Like, like, a, like, a, like a fair where the judge and the pigs, like, it just, and I'm not calling these, I'm not saying these players are being treated like animals. I'm just saying it's, it's like the doctors are going to poke and prod at them. The, the, the general managers and, and coaches are going to interview them and pick their brains, and then we want to see what they can do on the field, and we're all going to judge them. We're going to judge their hand size, like when it comes down to Joe Burrow having nine-inch hands, and, and that's going to be a big deal because first-round quarterbacks don't have that small hands, Chris. Uh, it just seems like it's it's a lot of ridiculousness, but it also is very important stuff. So from a player's perspective, the first step in in making a positive impression in Indianapolis is what for these kids? Well, I think attitude's important. I, I think that you have to look at it as a job interview. From a player standpoint, 
it's not fun. It's not fun to sit there and walk into a room with just shorts and with a bunch of old men that are scouting you looking at it. There's nothing. It makes you, I don't know, feel a little uh, dehumanized. But what you have to understand and everyone needs to understand is that the physical abilities of these players are pretty important. It's no different than a model. Um, their looks and how they're going to present the products and the catalog or, you know, however digital, whatever, uh, you know, you're not going to see many ugly models, you uh-huh. know, they're going to look good. And then, well, th- th- for a player, there are certain metrics, physical metrics, tangible metrics that are strong indicators of a player's success. Of course, the film is the most important thing. But remember that when you evaluate players on film or in person, they're doing it at the college level against college opponents. We are projecting guys to the next level. So the metrics of how a guy runs, his quickness, his strength, his size, they're all our indicators along with the film on how a guy's going to project to play to the next level. It matters not. Um, what awards or anything that you win, that is an indication of the production level in college. But it's how you project, 100% how you project onto the next level. Now, good production in college is good as it relates to projecting good production in the NFL. But it doesn't necessarily tell you everything. If you're productive in college, uh, but maybe you, you're lacking some of the metrics. You worry about a guy being as productive at the pro level, and we can sing chapter and verse on guys that are not as good at the next level because they don't project well. And so you got to look at a lot of things, psychological testing, um, mental acuity, the acuity, the visually, the, uh, the ability to learn, all the medical background, which is not just whether a guy's recovering from an injury, but uh, a lot of things, growth potential. Uh, and then the physical skill sets, all these things are important. So the measurables don't eliminate a player. It doesn't make a player better, but there are parts of which there are many metrics that can help us gauge a little bit more about what a guy needs to be. So if you look at a Drew Brees and he's short, you know that it sends up a red flag. What you need to know is, does he have the capability to overcome, in that case, being height deficient? Well, how he explodes from under center and how he gets deeper into his drops quicker, that he was able to overcome it. Um, there are a lot of things that will players will be able to overcome. And there are some things where players are not very productive in college, but they have the ability to be productive at the next level if put in different circumstances and situations. So I guess the best thing I would say is this information and all these metrics are silly to the fan and to the media. It's not silly to those of us that understand it and understand why we're doing it. The biggest problem I have with the combine in today's world is when I was running it, we didn't have the media exposure because they weren't in it. Yeah. So we didn't have to sit there and explain it to the media folks of what happened. Well, now you get in the world of hot take media and talking heads. Oh, this is ridiculous. This hand size, this, this, and that. It doesn't mean what you think it means. Well, why are you doing it? Well, there again, that's the 
lack of understanding of why we're doing it, why it's important. It doesn't make or break it, but it does matter. Uh, hand size, for example, does affect the velocity on throwing the football for a quarterback. It does potentially affect the ability to protect the football in traffic. But just because you ideally would like to have at a minimum nine and a half inch hands does not mean somebody with nine inch hands can't play or can't play effectively. It does not mean that at all. What it means is in cold weather, which if anybody wears rings or watches or bracelets, uh, you will know that in the winter, your hand shrinks a little bit in your feet and everything. In the summer, it just swells a little bit. That's just natural. Um, So there are things that potentially could be an issue. Not necessarily will be, but you're aware of everything. Not, well, we're, it's going to affect whether we take them or not, but it may affect a little bit about, okay, look, we need to be a little bit aware of that. Maybe he needs to wear a glove on his non-throwing hand if he's inclined to, or maybe it won't have any effect at all. The other thing is the football is slightly bigger in the NFL. The Mm -hmm. ball is actually a little bit bigger. So there are a lot of different minutiae that people have somehow jumped to the conclusion that because you measure a guy's arm length in his hands, that that determines whether a guy can play or not. It does not. It does give us some metrics that we look at that affect where they might play, how they might play, how you need to adjust from a coaching standpoint. So I I say that, you know, a lot of folks just really don't understand it and they tend to mock what they don't understand. And my, my response is it's not really important for you to agree with it out there or, or understand it. What I try to do here on this podcast and other platforms is to explain from a scouting standpoint why it's important to know this information, but it's how to use it and how to interpret it that really matters. And it doesn't make or break a player, but it certainly could have an impact on uh, on some things in his play. And it and it usually does, but it usually doesn't show up in terms of overall production. But how you need to coach him or utilize him? Well, I think I'm eight and a half from my uh, thumb to my pinky, so I guess I wouldn't make a good quarterback because I won't be able to grip the football. So uh, not going to get drafted as a quarterback, Chris. I'm sorry. Well, it it, uh, it, it listen, guy, a guy like a Dave Craig had uh, had eight inch hands, eight and a quarter inch hands, yeah, and uh, really really small, and and he fumbled the football a bunch. He's yep. still playing the league, but uh, there's no question that if you look at ideally you'd like to have bigger hands of course it, it does not prevent you patrick mahomes doesn't have hands that are much bigger uh, he certainly had an effect uh it, it it's the issue is not how big your hands are or how fast you are but is do you meet a certain metric there's over time you look at players that if they fall short of a certain metric the percentages of them making it are not very yeah. good. Uh-huh. But if a guy is exceptional in other areas, like a Joe Burrow or certainly a Patrick Mahomes, it's not going to affect where he gets drafted, you know, and, and how effective he'll be at the next level. But there are still reasons why we do it and certainly could affect a little bit uh, about how he does things and how he grips the football and, quite frankly, where he grips the football. Those things do help from a teaching standpoint to understand. So there's a lot more to it than anybody ever discusses because 
it's all a kind of funny narrative. Well, it's not, mm-hmm. they're not big mm-hmm. enough than that, this or that. It just, uh, it, it doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means. Talk to me about the pros and cons of working out at the Combine versus your school's pro day. Is it just as simple as when you when you have your pro day, you are the one that's dictating the workouts as opposed to the Combine where they're telling you which routes to run or which passes to throw? Yeah, that's the biggest thing. And, you know, people use different excuses why they don't want to work out, yada, yada, yada. I'm sore. I, Joe Burrow said, you know, I, you know, he had a good one, you know, well, we played longer, so I'm not quite ready, which he's ready. He could do the workout, but the bottom line is. more time to work out with their, in their coaches. All these people hire performance coaches. Yeah. Well, they specifically get them ready for these drills. When they work out on the campus, they run, it is run by the, well, usually by the quarterback coach. That's running it. It's run by the school. Uh, at the combine, you're it's you're right. It's run by the the co- the the pro coaches. Well, I, we know that. So you better perform a whole lot better on your school workout. Uh-huh. You know. So in other words, if you perform well at the combine, that's more impressive than if you perform well at the school. Got it. Okay. All we're looking at. I mean, you're not going to draft a guy or not draft a guy based upon a workout, but the workout again, can display certain things that you want to know. and things like well, that. Well, it's that, and it's also things that maybe he's not asked to do in his current scheme that we're going to ask him to do that, and we're going to see how quickly he learns and adjusts. It doesn't – you can have a great workout and throw the football uh, in a workout very well. It doesn't mean that you're, uh, you know, a great player. So why do it? Because, again, we're looking at other things that are beyond – just what maybe the normal person's looking at the workout. Um, and there's some positions where workouts are far more important. For example, I put a whole lot in defensive back workouts uh, because you, you can force a guy to do something that he's not asked to do in college, and I need to see that. Uh, I want to see how he can turn his run and flip his hips. Can he play press? Can he play? I mean, I want to see those things athletically that, very often you don't see in, in on the college tape. So uh, there are a lot of things in workouts that we see, but it's not just, well, how many completions that he has? He threw 28 balls. He completed 25. That is not relevant. What's relevant, again, is the minutia of what we're asking him to do and how they do it. And, it, and again, it doesn't have to. Look, uh, Cam Newton threw, and, 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 I mean, everything was in the ground at, at the combine. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't affect how he played. And, you know, I'd rather see a guy compete at the combine. Uh, I like that. I, I I think when a guy competes, that says a lot about him. But today's world, they don't do it, so you don't hold it against them. I mean, it's not ideal, but you just move on with it. At the end of the day, it's still about how you feel and trust the guy. Can he be your team leader? Can he be a guy that can make a difference for you. Uh, you're going to get the information that you know. I'm a big believer, and, you know, I would have I've always said that I wanted to move the combine back a little bit, and I wanted to eliminate on-campus workouts. So if you don't work out at the combine, you don't work out. And I think we get more of these guys unless they were um, given excuse by the medical staff at the combine to not work out, then we'd have a second combine. That's how I would do it. But the pro days are becoming more and more of, of a thing and will continue to be.
Uh, Chris, I know it's going to be a busy week for you in Indianapolis, but we log on to LandryFootball.com this week. What are we going to find? Oh, tons of information. For example, we've got in our college notebook, we still got updates on uh, assistant coaching movement, recruiting information, but how certain players are doing. So as a college fan, you want to know about how guys are doing and the latest on Tua and Joe Burrow and other guys, how they're looking, how things are going, who they're meeting with, all those things we got there for you. So you want to be involved in that. Certainly from a pro side, if you're a fan there, you get to learn a lot about what's going on, news and notes about free agency, who teams are looking at, obviously their focus on uh, their needs and what players might be good fits. We're speculating a little bit about how certain guys might be good fits free agency-wise and draft-wise. So we've got all that for you in our notebooks. We also have on LandryFootball.com our free agent boards, our draft boards, our scouting reports. So we've got all that information that's keeping you abreast of everything going on in the world of college football and the NFL each and every day over at LandryFootball.com. Well, Chris, it's going to be a fun weekend ahead. Uh, We will recap it all next week. A reminder, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to the College Football Film Room wherever you get your podcasts from. You can check us out on the Believe Podcast Network at BLEAV.com. Be sure to follow Chris on Twitter at LandryFootball for all the latest breaking news and analysis. You can follow me at Scott's On Air. And once again, we will be back with a new episode next week recapping what went down at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis from a college football perspective. Chris, until then, enjoy your week. Hey, thank you, buddy. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.